Would you join me praying for our sermon? Heavenly Father, as we open your word together, we pray that our hearts and our minds would really be open to receive. Or for those of us who have been in church maybe all of our lives, we've heard so many sermons. And it can be very easy to just kind of tune out partway through. I pray, Lord, by your spirit, you would speak to us and that we would receive where we are, that we might become more like Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. So I have learned over time that it can be expensive and time-consuming to have a nice lawn. Anybody else? I feel like you have a choice. You can spend a lot of time and money or you can spend a lot of money for somebody else's time. But one way or another, it costs something to have a nice lawn. I felt a little better when I read about the field for the Super Bowl today. It, take, it took 30 people and $750,000 to get that field ready. Not only that, after the halftime show rehearses and before the game, the halftime show rehearsals, they'll come off the field. They will go back out onto that field with brushes, and they will brush every square inch of that field to make sure the grass is standing up appropriately. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Now, it is crazy, and yet, do you know that the NFL is by far the most watched television in America. And I mean by far. In 2022, you had to go to the seventh most watched show to get to something that wasn't the NFL. The first six of the NFL. Then you have to go to number 24 to get something that's not NFL. 88 of the most 100 watched shows in 2022 were NFL games. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> now, guess what the number one ones? The Super Bowl. So I don't know, maybe it's worth it. No, I still don't think so. Um, I mean, honestly, I, my house didn't cost as much as they spent on the Super Bowl, just on the lawn. I mean, that's... However, it wasn't always like that. For the first 27 Super Bowls, they spent less than $1,000 working on the lawn. And the reason I know that is because George Toma let us all know. George has worked as the lawn person on every single Super Bowl. He is known as the sod father. Isn't it? <laughs> but it's true. Fifth, this is his 57th Super Bowl to work on the lawn. Um, I mean, it's pretty incredible. This guy has really devoted his life to this event, to this sport, to this moment, to getting this whole thing right. He is 94 years old. Much like many people in this church, he does not seem like it. He really does not seem like his age at all. I mean, I saw a picture of the guy. I was expecting when I heard the name to see a guy with like, you know, barely be. He is like out there doing stuff on the lawn. This guy is kind of incredible. He's devoted his life to this. 
what are you really devoting your life to? What drives you? What's at the heart of what you do or, or how you act, what you look for, what you value? Right? In Epiphany, what we've been talking about is who is Jesus? And that's what the season is about. The revelation of Jesus, especially to the nations, but who is he? In this last message, I want to tell you what he devoted his life to. And it should sound kind of obvious, but I hope to open it up and help us see it at a deeper level. Open up, the, open up your Bibles, the Pew Bibles. Matthew chapter 5. We are on page 1378. We're going to move around the Bible a bit today. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. Here's what Jesus devoted his life to. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Right? So, somewhere along the way, Maybe in his teaching. So he has been going around Galilee. He's been teaching in synagogues. People have heard him teach. Maybe somebody has been saying, hey, what he's teaching isn't part of our tradition or something. But Jesus wants to make sure everyone understands. I did not come to negate, to get rid of the law or the prophets. And that phrase, law or the prophets, is a way of talking about the Old Testament. It's not just the Mosaic law. It's what they would have as the Old Testament. So I don't, don't think I came to do that. Instead, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Notice the language. I have come to fulfill them. Right? A driving factor in the life of Jesus and everything that he does is to fulfill the Old Testament. And I would argue there's at least three ways that he does this, that he fulfills it, right? Number one, oh, I need my Bible because we're going to go through this. Um, you know, jump around a little bit. Number one, Jesus fulfills this by obeying it. As simple as that sounds, he obeyed the Old Testament in everything that he did. Right? And, and just, I know we've heard that. He was sinless. But for a moment, I want you to think about the number of times you don't just break the Ten Commandments, but you do something, you act in a way, your motivation for what you do would go against what's in the Old Testament. And imagine your entire life never doing that a single time. That's what he did. And it started really young. Jump over to Luke chapter 2. Or go to Luke chapter 3 because it's at the very end of 2. This is on page 1461. He is 12 years old when this happens. He's the age of my son. He is 12 years old. 
His family has left because the festival is over. Jesus has stayed behind. He's in the temple. They come back frantically looking for him. And go to verse 49. Now go to verse 48 just to get this question. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? This is interesting. Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And Joseph is his adoptive father, but his real father is God. And look at Jesus' answer. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? They did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus is doing something where he is in his father's house. He's with his father. He's doing what he feels like he's called to. They don't even get it. They don't understand his explanation. And yet look at his response. Verse 51. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. Even at the age of 12, he follows honor your, mother, honor your father and mother. Right? There is an obedience to everything Jesus did all of his life, all the time. That is an incredible thing. But he obeyed the law. That is how he fulfilled it. And then another thing that I think is very important for us to understand is he didn't just memorize it. In order to do what he did, he doesn't just know it, he has internalized it. And there's a big difference. Many of you know a lot of scriptures. You might even be able to quote them. The question is, what is the impact of them on your everyday life? And how difficult is it for that to integrate with how you act? Right? Turn for a moment back to Matthew. Go to chapter 4 of Matthew. We're going to go to the temptations. Matthew chapter 4. This is on page 1376. Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness, and he fasts for 40 days. Verse 2, after fasting 40 days, 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus is going to answer out of the book of Deuteronomy. Here's his response. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Very appropriate quote, right? Like if you had memorized that and the tempter had come to you, that would have been a very appropriate quote. I want you to see the context, though, because Jesus isn't just quoting a verse he memorized. Go back to the book of Deuteronomy. I'll give you a page number here at a moment. Back to Deuteronomy. It's the fifth book, chapter 8. Uh, page 261 in the Pew Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 8, 261 is the page number. So listen to this passage. He quotes out of this passage, but his quotation fits the entire context. It wasn't like when the tempter did what he did, Jesus had like three or four verses back here, and he said one, like he was attacking back or something. He didn't have to. 
he knows the Old Testament so well that the right thing was just there. It's how he thinks. So here's Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 1. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Now remember, he just fasted 40 days. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He's being tested. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. See, the whole thing was relevant to what Jesus was going through. But it comes to him because he knows it so well. The thoughts of the Old Testament are just interwoven with his. And we see this throughout Paul's writings. He's constantly just quoting things because they've internalized the Old Testament. I think it looks something like this. Um, My boys and I recently purchased a new Nintendo game. And uh, my wife was gone for the weekend, and so we spent way, way too many hours playing it. To the point that about six hours in, my son went, Dad, you're still here? (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, we just went nuts. And on this game, you are an adventurer, you're going on quests, you're fighting things, you're getting treasure, you're getting stronger, all that kind of stuff. But in order to do the battles... There are six different buttons. One of them is a button I know very well. It's the button that makes your sword do this. I know that button. I can push that button all day long. There's another button that fires your arrow. I mostly have that one. And the other top button is what heals you. Half the time I mix those up. I'm trying to shoot something and I heal myself. Or I'm trying to heal myself, I shoot something and I die because I needed to heal myself. Then there's three other buttons, and those each have their own artifact that they do too. And at one point, we were practicing, and I think my boys thought I was crazy, like maybe I was losing my mind, because I was going, okay, um, block, heal, hit, block, heal, hit, block, heal, hit. Um, I was trying to get all the buttons, because I kept messing them up. The only one I didn't have to think about was the attack button. All the others, I kept slowing down. I couldn't just do them. I feel like that's exactly how I know the word of God most of the time. Like I know a lot of passages. You can say things. I can maybe tell you where it is. Um, You may ask me a question. I can say, hey, let's go look at this answer right here. But right in the moment of my life, I've not internalized it in the way that Jesus has. So that I just go, oh, top button does this. This button does this. I'm in this moment, I need to push that button. That's what he's done. That's how he obeys this all the time in everything that he does. It's what we are called to. Not just memorizing, not just reading. Internalizing God's word so that it is natural for us. That's the first way that he fulfills it. Second way that Jesus fulfills it. Go back into Matthew. 
which we're actually going to jump, actually go to John, because we're going to go to John anyway. Go to John chapter 1. I'll give you the point, and then we can read this together. It's on page 1509. Jesus fulfills the Old Testament by being its climactic point. The entire Old Testament, I want you to think about the Old Testament in this way. This is how I think about it. I will teach Trinity this until I am dead and gone. The Old Testament is the revelation of who God is and what God desires. It is not just a collection of stories. It's not just commandments. It's not just things for us to, you know, do little felt people with and make up things and do Sunday schools. And It is the revelation of who God is. Jesus reveals that to a greater degree than anything before him or after him. Therefore, he is the climax of the Old Testament. Right? And it's very interesting. John chapter 1. Look at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Here's a title for Jesus. He is actually called the Word of God because he reveals who God is. He is the Word. Now, jump down to verse 14. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That is what we call the incarnation. The Word of God came down as a person. And now he is revealing God in a way that had never been done before. I add to that, look at verse 18. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who himself is God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. The Word of God became a man. And he was with God. Hey, no other prophet was there. All other prophets are receiving some revelation through the Spirit, and they're writing things down, or they're prophesying things. But the Son comes, and he has been with the Father. And he is revealing who the Father is in a way that has never been done before. Let me see if I can give you this kind of example to show you. We all know God cares for the poor and for the sinner, right? We know that. It says so in the Old Testament. But we see it in Jesus. Jesus feeds the poor. Jesus invites the poor and the sinner in. Jesus goes and has parties with them. See, we see God's heart in the actions of Jesus so that it cannot be denied. This is who God is. When God says he loves the world, he said that in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Jesus shows us just how much. In his actions, Jesus would go through all of the betrayal and the suffering. He would go into the garden and he would say, please take this away from me. And the father would say, even though we have no words, but if we go with what John said, he gave his only son because he loved the world, he would be saying, I love the world too much. You're going to go through this. You're showing them, not just telling them. I mean, as English people, the whole show versus tell, here is Jesus showing through his actions all the way to the cross that God loves you. 
He is the climax of the revelation. What we see in Christ is what we know to be true about God. If you want to know who God is, you must know who Jesus is, or you will not know who God is, not to the fullest. Um, come on up on Valentine's Day. Anybody eat the little heart candies? I really wanted to bring some because Joe brought candy for everyone last week, and so I wanted to bring candy too. Um, but this week was a mess. There was so much sickness going on in my family that there just was no time to go get little heart candies. But I was going to get you all little heart candies. Um, I don't know how much of the history you know of them. I'm not going to give you much. I'm just going to tell you this. They change them year by year. There's some going all the way back to 1902 that are the same. Kiss me. Um, That one stays. But then every single year, they try to make the language fit whatever the context is of the culture. So you can see one that everyone would understand, call me, fax me, page me, text, email me, text me. It's gone through every one of those iterations because it's trying to speak into the culture and reach them, to to, to convey something to them. Last year... They went with a theme of encouragement. So there were some that said, good job, you made it. I mean, things like that, because they were trying to encourage people at the end of the pandemic. This year, they've chosen an animal theme. We're going to have perfect, you know, P-U-R. And part of the reason is because during the pandemic, guess what a lot of people bought? Pets. (laughs) So they're trying to communicate into the culture through these hearts. And so they alter them. Jesus communicates in a way that has never been done before, will never be done again, until we're in eternity, who the Father is. And nothing will compare to it. He fulfills the Old Testament by being the ultimate revelation of the Father. Here's the last way, and I'm not going to say much about it because I'm going to spend all of Lent writing devotions about this. He also fulfills it by being its ultimate interpreter. Jesus, after the resurrection, he's walking on the road with two disciples, and he takes them through a Bible study, and he shows them how the entire Old Testament spoke of him. He's giving the ultimate interpretation of what all of this was about. Guess what he's doing starting in the very next passage in Matthew? Right after what we're studying here, he goes in and he says, You've heard it said, do not murder, but I tell you. Now, here's what he's doing. He's not making something contradictory. He's not going to say, you've heard it said, do not murder, but I say to you, kill your neighbor. Um, That's not what he's doing. It's not a contradiction. What he's doing is, is he's going to show us the ultimate heart behind God. That even when all of these things were spoken, God intended even more. And what I want to do over Lent is I'm going to write devotionals about each of these to help us reflect on our lives about six topics for six weeks of Lent. All right, so I'm going to leave it at that. He fulfills it by being its ultimate interpreter. All right, so three things, three ways he fulfills the Old Testament. Here's the question. 
Why did it matter so much to Jesus? And I won't spend a long time answering this, but I think it's really important for us to understand this. Go back into Matthew, back in Matthew chapter 5. You guys okay jumping around the scriptures a bit? I know we don't do that too often, but sometimes it seems very appropriate to bring these things out. Uh, This is on page 1378. Two quick things. This is why it's so important. This is why Jesus came to fulfill this. Verse 18. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Here's the first reason Jesus spent his life doing this. The Old Testament is more stable than the universe itself. It is more likely that the universe pass away than the Old Testament not fulfill everything it said it would fulfill. And and, and that really shouldn't surprise us in a way. Hey, think of it in this way. Creation comes into existence as the spoken word of God. The scriptures are the revelation of who he is. They are stronger and more stable than the creation that was spoken into existence. So for Jesus, he would say, why would I ever not make this an ultimate priority in my life? This is the foundation. This is the revelation of God. I should be standing on this and living every part of my life out of this. Number two, keep going. Verse 19, therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Um, And this is a somewhat confusing thing as you start thinking of like, so I I can get into heaven And, like, this guy is, you know, he gets to wear, like, a suit and everything. And this guy over here is a beggar because he's really low in the kingdom of heaven. And what is Jesus talking about? Here's what I think he means. And I think we need to keep in mind this. When Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, he's not talking about something that is just future. That we're all heading for. He's not talking about heaven. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is here now. I have brought the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is invading earth. The kingdom of heaven is bringing the rule and reign and peace of God right now to creation. Its ultimate fulfillment won't come until there is a new creation. But no, I'm coming right now. Do you know that when John the Baptist was confused about if Jesus was the right one, Jesus' answer was this. I'm healing the sick. I'm casting out demons. Here's what he's telling him. The kingdom of God is overcoming sin right now. So here's the way you talk about it, and it actually ties into Joe's sermon last week about salt and light. If you want to be the most effective you can be in the kingdom of God right now, if you want to make a difference in what God is doing in the world right now, you must be following God's revelation. The further you get away from who God has revealed he is, who God has revealed he wants his people to be, 
what God calls us to, the less effective you will be in the kingdom of God. You'll still be a part of it because you've trusted in Jesus. If you have called him your Lord and Savior, you're a part of the kingdom. But if you want to make an impact right now today, like he did, the closer you are to how he lived, the closer you are to what God reveals about who he is, the more impact you're going to make in the kingdom. Because that is what the kingdom is about. That's what Jesus did. That's what we're called to. So, my question for you, and I mean this very seriously, um, and it's not meant to like bring guilt or anything. I, it's a very serious question. I want you to answer it in your own heart. Truly. Right? So, listen up. Do you want to be like Jesus? If you do, you need to know the word of God. And not just so you can have a Bible study. And not just so you can, like, call somebody out. We should never be using the scriptures to beat people over the head. Jesus didn't. Jesus was far more likely to come to the center and use the Old Testament to talk about mercy, to invite them in. The only people Jesus ever bashed with the Bible were the Pharisees, who should have known it. But we must know it, and we must internalize it. And so my challenge and exhortation for you is this. Begin being in the Scriptures on a regular basis, but go slow, learn it, internalize it. Think about what it means for your life. If you need to, take one passage for an entire week. One passage. But think about what would this mean for how I treat my neighbor? What would this mean for how I do my job? All of these kinds of questions. Let it become second nature to you. That's our calling. And that's how we become more like him. I need to end because I'm running long, but I want to read a quote. I brought all these papers up here mostly to have this quote here, and then I, for some reason, brought three pieces of paper, pages up here. Um, George, the sod father, also his other nickname was the god of sod, um, he's going to retire this year. This is his final Super Bowl. 57 Super Bowls, 94 years old. But I thought this quote was really good. This is what he said about what he does. I'm here to give the players the best possible condition to play on a safe playing field and then some. Do you hear that? It's not for him about what they see. It's not about brushing all the grass so that it stands up and looks pretty. It's not about the color. That's not what he cares about. He cares about the players. He wants to create a safe condition for the players. That's what he works for. I want us to know, study, and digest the word of God for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of each other, 
for the sake of our community. Don't just take in knowledge. Become a different person. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Help each one of us better internalize it. That it would become more second nature to us. That we would be more like Jesus. That we would make a greater impact in the kingdom of God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.